When I sat down to start researching and writing this episode, I knew that I wanted to talk about snakes. And you can't talk about snakes without talking about venomous snakes. And once I went down that particular rabbit hole, I knew that this episode was going to end up being just about venomous snakes, at the risk of having you think they're more dangerous than they really are. But I'll have to save other snakes for a future episode. Few animals are as misunderstood or inspire as much fear as snakes, but this fear is often unwarranted. Worldwide, just 7% of snake species have what we call medically significant venom. And even if you live where venomous snakes are common, snakes want to avoid you as much as you want to avoid them. And snakes, even the ones that pose some danger to people, occupy a very important place in the ecosystem. They help keep rodent and insect populations under control. World Snake Day was Saturday, July 16th, so a happy belated World Snake Day. But in honor of World Snake Day, I want to dedicate this episode to the misunderstood and all too often persecuted venomous snakes of the United States. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. Snakes haven't always had a bad rap, you know. In many ancient cultures, they were symbols of healing. The ancient Egyptians ascribed healing powers to snakes. In ancient Greek myths, snakes were associated with Asclepius, the son of Apollo, whose snake familiars would crawl across the bodies of sick people asleep at night in his shrines and lick them back to health. I bet more than a few of you shuddered at that thought. One of the traditional symbols of the medical profession, at least in the United States, is the caduceus, which depicts two snakes winding around a winged staff. Although, this is thought to be a bit of a misinterpretation. Technically, the caduceus is a symbol of Hermes, herald of the gods and protector of human heralds, travelers, thieves, merchants, and orators. But I digress. Many professional medical organizations are now adopting the staff of Asclepius instead, which depicts a single snake winding around a non-winged staff. Many cultures also viewed snakes as symbols of fertility, representing the umbilical cord that joins humans to Mother Earth, and immortality, equating shedding their skin to reincarnation. A coiled snake, or one biting its own tail, echoed this symbolism of immortality by seeming to have no beginning or no end. But of course, snakes have also been seen in a much less favorable light. While Asclepius may have had healing snakes, Medusa's snake hairdo would turn people into stone. Because they lived in cracks and holes in the ground, they were frequently seen as guardians of the underworld or messengers between the worlds. In Nordic myth, evil was symbolized by a serpent who coiled around one of the three roots of the tree of life and tried to choke the life from it. And then, of course, there's the Bible, which comes out swinging by making a serpent the face of evil lurking in paradise. Now, snakes are generally feared because some snakes, remember just 7% of snake species, have what we call medically significant venom. Post a picture of a snake, any snake, on social media, and one of the first questions will be, is it venomous? Usually just after someone says to kill it. Medically significant means that in the event of a bite, medical treatment is required. But simply labeling a snake as venomous is often misleading. Technically speaking, many snakes produce a mild venom in their saliva. And in addition to this venom being weak, 
these snakes don't have the efficient delivery system to inject the venom into their prey or silly humans like other venomous snakes. I'll give you an example. A relative recently posted a picture of a hognose snake on Facebook, and predictably the question quickly came up, is it venomous? Several people, including the person who posted the picture, simply answered, yes, which, like I said, is highly misleading. What they're really asking is, is it dangerous? And the answer to that question is a resounding no. First of all, hognose snakes are highly unlikely to bite in the first place. Oh, they'll flatten their head to look more like a venomous snake, and they may strike with a closed mouth, but all this drama is to try and scare a would-be predator away. If that acting job fails, they're still dedicated thespians and are more likely to play dead than they are to bite. But if all that fails and they do bite, is their venom medically significant? No. The only way the venom produced by a hognose snake would hurt a human is for a large amount to make its way into an open wound over an extended period of time. In that unlikely scenario, it can cause swelling and localized tissue damage. But if you're lying around with a hognose snake excessively drooling into an open wound, you have other problems, my friend. So let's talk about the snakes in the United States with medically significant venom. And from here on out, I'm going to just say venomous, and you'll know that I mean medically significant venom. First of all, I want you to know this. Every year in the United States, between seven and 8,000 people are bitten by venomous snakes. But a whopping 57% of those bites happen to people handling the snake. That means that over half of those bites are pretty much entirely preventable. Now, these bites result in about five deaths. To put that in perspective, about the same number of people in the United States die each year from getting crushed by vending machines, and we average around 30 deaths per year from lightning strikes. So you're six times more likely to be killed by lightning than by a venomous snake. In the U.S., there's about 100 species of snake, 22 of which are venomous. So any snake you encounter is way more likely to be a non-venomous species. The 22 venomous snake species all fall into four categories, rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, copperheads, and coral snakes. Rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, and copperheads are all pit vipers. They have heat-sensing pits on their snouts that help them detect prey. Coral snakes are more closely related to cobras and sea snakes. Now, rattlesnakes make up the vast majority of venomous snakes by sheer number. There's about 19 species of rattlesnake in the United States. The eastern diamondback is the largest venomous snake in the United States, and a contender for the largest in the world, able to reach up to 8 feet long. The western diamondback, common in the western U.S., is responsible for the greatest number of bites and has the highest fatality rate. That said, rattlesnakes rarely bite unless they're provoked. Now, rattlesnakes get their name, of course, from the rattle located at the end of their tails, which makes a loud rattling noise when vibrating. I can tell you from experience that when you hear that sound in the wild, you know instantly what it is. The rattle is composed of a series of hollow, interlocked segments made of keratin, the same substance as fingernails, created by modifying the scales that cover the tip of the tail. The contraction of special shaker muscles in the tail causes these segments to vibrate against each other, making the rattling noise, which is then amplified because the segments are hollow. 
Fun fact, these shaker muscles are some of the fastest firing muscles known. They can fire 50 times a second for up to three hours. The rattle is used as a warning to deter potential predators or to avoid getting stepped on by passing large hooved animals and slow-witted humans. Although rattlesnakes are among the most dangerous venomous snakes, they don't want to bite you if you're not prey. That's exactly why they make their presence known. Making venom is expensive, metabolically speaking, and they don't want to waste it. Interestingly, in more heavily populated areas, there's been an increase in reports of rattlesnakes that don't rattle. Now, this phenomenon is attributed to selective pressure by humans who have a bad habit of killing rattlesnakes when they find them. In a natural setting, rattling is adaptive, but near human populations, non-rattling snakes are more likely to go unnoticed, so they survive to reproduce offspring that are also less likely to rattle. It's Genetics 101. By killing snakes that rattle, humans are helping increase the number of snakes that don't rattle. As for me, I'll take a rattling rattlesnake over a non-rattling one. Thank you very much. Rattlesnake venom is a hemotoxin. It destroys tissue and disrupts blood clotting. It contains components evolved to immobilize and disable their prey, as well as digestive enzymes to break down tissue for later ingestion. In humans, it can cause swelling, severe pain, tingling, weakness, anxiety, nausea, vomiting, hemorrhaging, and in rare cases, heart failure. Now, if antivenom is given within two hours of the bite, the probability of recovery is 99%. Now, the snakes can control the amount of venom injected, and about 20% of bites are what are known as dry bites, in which no venom is released. Rattlesnakes are ovoviviparous, a mouthful of a word, which means that the young develop in eggs, but the eggs stay inside the mother's body until they hatch. She gives birth to up to 25 live young at once, about every three years. The young are venomous from birth and only stay with their mother for a few hours before going off on their own. A common myth is that baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous because they can't control their venom release, but this has been proven to be false in multiple studies. So, what do you do if you hear a rattlesnake? Well, stop what you're doing and slowly move away from the sound. The snake will usually keep rattling until you're a good distance away. Don't try to find it. Most people that hear a rattlesnake don't see it, and that's okay. And with any venomous snake, don't try to catch or kill it. Statistically, you're more likely to get bitten if you attack the snake than if you just leave it alone. In the immortal words of one of my favorite naturalists, Henry David Thoreau, quote, A man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can let alone, unquote. You can be a very rich person when it comes to venomous snakes. While they don't rattle, cottonmouths also give would-be predators a warning. They open their mouths to show the white inside of their mouth, hence the name cottonmouth. They're also the only venomous snake in the United States that's semi-aquatic, spending a lot of time in water, which gives rise to their other common name, water moccasin. In the United States, cottonmouths range from southeastern Virginia to Florida, west to central Texas, and north to southern Illinois and Indiana. They primarily live in aquatic and wetland habitats, including swamps, marshes, drainage ditches, ponds, lakes, and streams. 
Non-venomous water snakes are often mistaken for cottonmouths since they also swim. But when swimming at the surface, water snakes swim with just their head above the water and cottonmouths swim with their whole body on the surface and their head angled up. Cottonmouths can hunt prey in water or on land and eat fish, small mammals, birds, amphibians, and reptiles, including other snakes and even smaller cottonmouths. Cottonmouths kill with a single venomous bite, then wrap around their prey until it stops moving before swallowing their food whole. Now, cottonmouths have a reputation for being dangerous, but in reality, they also rarely bite humans unless they're picked up or stepped on. They may stand their ground against potential predators, including humans, by displaying defensive behaviors, coiling up, showing the inside of their mouth, and sometimes even shaking their tail like a rattlesnake, even though they don't have a rattle. It can still make a vibrating noise. They can also spray a foul-smelling musk from glands in the base of their tail. Like rattlesnakes, cottonmouth venom is a hemotoxin. It breaks down blood cells, preventing the blood from clotting. Cottonmouths are considered less venomous than most rattlesnakes, but more venomous than copperheads. A cottonmouth bite can lead to internal bleeding, tissue and muscle damage, and extreme pain around the bite. But cottonmouths account for less than 1% of snake bite deaths in the United States. Also like rattlesnakes, cottonmouths are ovoviviparous. Females give birth to live young every two to three years in litters of between 10 and 20 offspring. Cottonmouths are also capable of parthenogenesis, which is when growth and development of embryos occurs without fertilization. Baby cottonmouths are born brightly colored and go off on their own as soon as they're born. Most baby cottonmouths don't make it to adulthood because they're eaten by other animals like raccoons, cats, eagles, and snapping turtles. Here at Dispatches HQ, we have copperheads. Now, full disclosure, I haven't seen a live copperhead here, though I have seen several road-killed ones nearby. Copperheads are the most commonly encountered venomous snake in the southeastern United States. They get their name from their distinct copper-colored bodies and brown hourglass or Hershey's Kiss patterns on their back. They generally prefer wooded and forested areas where they can blend into the leaf litter and brush. Because copperheads rely on camouflage as their primary method of defense, and they like to shelter in leaf litter and wood piles. They're often accidentally stepped on or touched. Copperheads make up the majority of venomous snake bites in many states across the southeast. However, copperheads are the least venomous of the pit vipers, and bites are rarely fatal. In addition, they often employ a warning bite when stepped on or agitated, injecting either a relatively small amount of venom or employing a dry bite, which is particularly common with the copperhead. Bite symptoms include extreme pain, tingling, throbbing, swelling, and nausea. Interestingly, copperhead venom has been found to hold a protein that halts the growth of cancer cells in mice and stops the migration of the tumors to other sites. Research is underway to see if this could prove to be an effective cancer treatment for humans. The easiest way to avoid a copperhead bite is with a little bit of caution and common sense. When moving a wood or leaf pile where there may be copperheads, be alert and cautious. If you see a copperhead, again, as with any venomous snake, leave it alone. Don't try to catch it or kill it. I know it seems like common sense, but apparently not. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a post from the Next Door app. The poster writes, quote, So my stupidity put me in the hospital yesterday. 
Copperhead snakes are no joke. The bite is nothing compared to the venom and swelling. Pay attention to your surroundings, and if you find one, it's best to just kill it and not try to catch it. Unquote. Oh, so close. It was almost good advice. How about option C? Leave it alone. Or option D? Call a wildlife removal professional to catch and relocate it. While some sanity prevailed in the comments, there was also stuff like this. Quote, kill them always when you see them. Carry a hoe or shovel while working in the yard. If not, they will breed and one will become a dozen. Then they will spread to your neighbors. They are aggressive also, so be careful and don't get too close while killing them. They won't run away. Never try to catch a snake unless you're a professional. Any snake could bite you, unquote. Again, so close. Almost good advice. And according to this person, it's amazing we're not overrun with copperheads. And copperheads are not aggressive. Their first form of defense is to freeze and hope you'll go away. Fortunately for my sanity, I do find some social media posts that restore my faith in humanity. This post showed up recently on a Facebook group I'm in. The poster writes, quote, This encounter was entirely my fault. We regularly find copperheads, rattlesnakes, and cottonmouths in our location of eastern North Carolina. I walked into a wooded area to grab a bird feeder to fill at night, and a little nope rope alerted me that I was right next to him when I was unaware and in his zone. In this house, we never end the lives of critters that are not an immediate and direct threat to our safety. Unquote. She goes on to tell her husband, quote, don't you dare hurt that baby. He did exactly what he was supposed to. We are not killing him. He was a good boy, unquote. She continues, I relocated the baby copperhead that was so polite and just stretching his jaw the whole time. See, he's a good boy, the best boy. If he wanted to hurt me, he would have, and he didn't. He is a great boy. He was safely relocated, no skin was broken, and so I don't see the need for an ER visit. He was the best boy and was happily moved to a better spot for all of us." Unquote. If only all snake encounters were met with such compassion and had such a happy ending. Copperheads breed in late summer, but not every year. Sometimes females produce young for several years in a row, then don't breed at all for a couple of years. They give birth to live young, each of which is about 8 inches long. The typical litter size is 4 to 7, but can be as few as 1 or as many as 20. Their size apart, the young are similar to the adults, but lighter in color and with a yellowish-green tip on the tail. This is used to lure lizards and frogs. Copperheads, like cottonmouths, are capable of parthenogenesis. The last venomous snake found in the United States is the coral snake. Now, I mentioned earlier that coral snakes are more closely related to cobras and sea snakes, and in the United States, they're recognizable by their red, yellow or white, and black-colored banding. There's many non-venomous species of snake, like milk snakes and king snakes, that mimic this coloration, but not in the same order. There's a mnemonic device that says, red touching yellow can kill a fellow. And while this holds true for coral snakes in the United States, in other parts of the world, including parts of Mexico, this rhyme doesn't necessarily remain true. But in the United States, no coral snake species have red bands that touch black bands. Unlike pit vipers, coral snake venom is a neurotoxin and can cause progressive paralysis throughout the body. 
But in spite of having one of the most potent venoms of any venomous snake in the United States, they account for less than 1% of all venomous snake bites each year, averaging between 15 and 25. There's several reasons for this. First, they're relatively rare and tend to inhabit sparsely populated areas. But even in more densely populated areas, these snakes are not aggressive and spend most of their time under logs or brush. When confronted by humans, coral snakes will almost always attempt to flee and only bite if restrained. Coral snakes have short fangs that can't penetrate thick clothes or boots, although bites are possible through thinner clothes. As if all that weren't enough, compared to the pit vipers, coral snakes have a much less efficient venom delivery system. Where the pit vipers have retractable fangs connected directly to a venom gland, coral snakes have fixed fangs positioned near the front of the mouth, and rather than being directly connected to the venom duct, they have a small groove where venom enters the base of the fangs. This arrangement means that instead of biting quickly and letting go like the pit vipers, coral snakes hold on to their prey and kind of make chewing motions when biting. The venom takes time to reach full effect. Coral snakes mostly feed on smaller snakes, lizards, frogs, nestling birds, small rodents. In contrast to the pit vipers, coral snakes are oviparous, meaning they lay five to seven eggs at a time, which take about 60 days to hatch. In warmer parts of their range, they can reproduce year-round. Now, I knew that in talking about venomous snakes, there was a risk that I would make them sound much more dangerous and scary than they really are, so I want to reiterate a few points. First and foremost, snakes have an important place in the ecosystem, and they don't deserve to die just because they can hurt us or we find them scary. Snakes help control populations of mice, rats, insects, and even ticks. A 2013 study by biologists in Maryland found that a timber rattlesnake consumes somewhere between 2,500 and 4,500 ticks annually on the mice that it eats. Secondly, snakes, venomous or otherwise, really want nothing to do with you. It's the very reason rattlesnakes rattle and cottonmouths show their mouths. In case you missed it earlier, if you see a snake, the easiest way to avoid getting bitten is to leave it alone. Trying to catch it or kill it increases your risk of getting bitten. If it has set up residence in a place where you feel you absolutely must get rid of it, call a licensed animal relocation specialist who has both the skills and the permits to catch and relocate it. I can virtually guarantee that if you live somewhere where venomous snakes are common, there's somebody nearby who's in the business of catching and relocating them. And learning to identify venomous snakes in your area goes a long way toward alleviating the fear that every snake you see is dangerous. On the Virginia Wildlife Facebook page recently, someone posted a picture of a snake with the question, what kind of snake is this? I killed it with my shovel just to be safe. This is entirely the wrong approach. In fact, it was a harmless rat snake, but even if it had been a copperhead, well, you know how I feel. If you're hiking in snake country, wear long pants and proper footwear and stay on the trail. Whether hiking or doing yard work where venomous snakes are common, be extra aware of where you're putting your hands and feet, especially around rocks, tall grass, and brush or leaf piles. In the extremely rare instance that you do experience a snake bite, 
you should call 911 and get medical attention as soon as possible. What you should not do is apply a tourniquet or cut the wound and try to suck the poison out. Like the myth of water from a cactus that I talked about last episode, old westerns have led us astray in this area. Stay calm, stay as still as you can, and get professional help. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. As of the last episode, we've gone over a thousand downloads, which is very exciting. Be sure to leave a like and follow. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to email me at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help support future episodes, please check out my Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. Tiers start at just $5 a month. You can find all that information at patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.